0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello, Kirsty Melville here and welcome to the History Listen, where we're continuing our summer season of stories that have been hidden in the official historical record. Today, we're looking at the controversy that one radical musical invention has generated in its relatively short life. It's also a story about the powerful musical voice of African-Americans... A sound which has triggered oppression, rebellion, fear and joy. And the musical invention behind all this? The saxophone. Our journey through the story of the saxophone starts in suburban Melbourne as producer Anna Kelsey Sugg uncovers the identity of a constant presence in her family's life.
1: I grew up with a family member who was a complete stranger to me, an ever-present but mysterious figure with an unknown background and a very, very close relationship with my father. After nearly four decades, I've decided the mystery's gone on long enough. I've come to visit my dad at his studio at the end of the driveway of our family home to ask him some questions. Hello. Hi Anna. How are you going? The sound of the saxophone is as familiar to me as my mum or dad's voice. In my life there's never been a time when it wasn't there. It even joined us on family holidays, too precious to be left behind. It was untouchable, unspeakably special and it communicated in a language only my dad could understand. What are these beautiful little
2: pearl? Well, it is, it is actually, they are actually real pearl. They're the buttons, buttons, they're the actual buttons that the fingers touch. Because this saxophone is so old, this is about 75 years old, wow. this one. They probably are genuine pearl.
1: When did you start playing sax?
2: Uh, I started playing when I was 14 and thought, well, you know, that might be something that I might I could continue to do after school, like you know, do it at uni. But at that time, so sometime in the in the 70s, you couldn't study the saxophone at university. You couldn't go to a conservatorium and do as a principal instrument study the saxophone because it wasn't considered to be sort of a suitable instrument. A legit instrument. Wow. So the sax
1: was the illegitimate outsider. Absolutely. Strange to imagine my 17-year-old dad barred from studying the instrument he'd fallen in love with. So I want to know why the saxophone was shunted aside. Hello? That's 89-year-old saxophone legend Sonny Rollins. He's regarded as one of the best players of all time, and he's on the phone to me from his home in upstate New York. Sonny says the saxophone has always divided people.
3: It confounds a lot of people, and and they've been trying to uh, disgrace it and put it down and say, oh, it's no good. But they haven't been able to do it because it it has pleased so many human ears. The sound of the saxophone is certainly existing in the heavens. People trying to put it down is, is...
1: it's a it, it disgrace. Wait, so who's been putting the saxophone down?
4: I'm uh, Richard Ingham. I'm a saxophonist, composer, and educator.
1: Richard literally wrote the book on this instrument The Cambridge Companion to the Saxophone.
4: The saxophone has taken part in perhaps much more political upheaval than it might have wanted to. <laughs>
1: When Richard starts using words like evil and disturbing, I wonder if we haven't strayed onto a different topic.
4: (laughs) It's difficult to think of yourself playing a controversial instrument all day.
1: As I'm about to learn, just as there are two kinds of instruments combined to make a saxophone, there are two sides to its history as well. On one, there's tenderness, a unique human connection and a deep love. And on the other, hate, racism and fear. The saxophone story begins with a bright young inventor, Adolf Sax, who's born in Belgium in 1814.
4: He was uh, an innovative inventor and manufacturer and he was really very uh, successful and, and quite a prodigy. His father was a woodwind and a brass manufacturer and repairer and Adolf Sachs grew up in this workshop and I think just dreamt of combining the two instruments.
1: It was a new idea, taking the reed of a woodwind instrument and putting it on a brass body. By 1841, Adolf Sachs had perfected his radical invention. It had the volume projection of a trumpet but the emotional subtlety of a flute. The saxophone was born. And it was the beginning of a whole lot of trouble. The next year, 1842, Adolf Sax isn't getting the recognition he feels he deserves in his home country. He moves to Paris. It's hardly a warm welcome.
4: Some of the orchestral establishment thought the saxophone was just an ill-mannered and syncopated intruder.
1: The existing French instrument manufacturers were less than pleased about this new kid on the block. Adolf, who'd invented other instruments too, threatened to take some of their business.
4: goes into the capital city and it's this guy coming from Belgium, setting up in direct competition with existing manufacturers and and they were just uh, furious about this.
1: Their anger ramped up when Adolf won the contract as the French military band supplier.
4: After Taxi was successful and got the contract, uh, at this point many of his rivals turned on him with threats thefts, legal battles, and possibly even an attempt on his life, set fire to his um, factory and all this kind of thing. They used to steal his stuff and put uh, fake uh, stamps on their saxophones to make it look like they were his and they were really duff, so he got bad press for that. It was really evil stuff. It was pretty vicious business dealings.
1: While Adolf Sax's business rivals were trying to wipe him out, word of his musical invention was making its way all around the world.
4: So, the initial contract for military band provision had spread his name far and wide. And military bands were using the saxophone in Britain and in Spain in the 1850s, which is extraordinary because the first public appearance of the saxophone was only in
1: 1844. But that didn't equate to much joy for poor Adolf. He battled counterfeiters and design thieves for the rest of his life. Much of his lifetime
4: was spent in lawsuits and he was bankrupted twice.
1: In an article he published in 1887, just seven years before his death, Adolf, who died a pauper, wrote...
4: The scandalous role of the counterfeiters united against me had sufficient means to ruin me.
1: All this vicious rivalry seems a long way away when, on a cold and rainy Wednesday night, I visit Jazz Lab, an intimate little Melbourne jazz club. In this room there's no sense of competition. It's freezing outside, but in here there's just a whole lot of warmth. My dad's band is playing, and in the set break I ask some audience members what they think of the troublemaking saxophone. For me, it evokes passion. I absolutely
0: love the sound of the saxophone.
1: What's always interesting is how the sax and the, and
4: the sax player are, are one.
0: Always love the saxophone. Listen to Kenny G a lot. I Great. put my kids to bed listening to saxophone music, really? wow, and now one of my kids plays the saxophone.
1: So the saxophone can be screaming jazz solos or gentle tunes to put your kid to sleep to. It's loathed and it's loved. It's no one thing.
5: Because the saxophone was obviously such a relatively new instrument, it kind of meant that it was open to everybody and everyone could kind of make it what they wanted to make it. It was this new quantity. So many people then have that mindset of, well, everything's possible with it. So I'm Charlotte Harding and I'm a composer and saxophonist based in London. For me, it's just, it's been such an open instrument, both in terms of gender and genre. I think it's really felt like an instrument for everybody. It's an instrument that kind of defies time somehow. Charlotte and her colleague Amy Green,
1: playing now, have traced over a hundred years of women in the saxophone to celebrate an often ignored or misunderstood history. Charlotte says women have been breaking new ground on the saxophone since its inception. In 1876, just three decades after the sax was invented, Etta Morgan was touring the US, billed as the only lady saxophone player in the world. Not true, but she was called this because she was succeeding in a male-dominated music industry. It's also reported that the first concert saxophone solo by an African-American was performed by a woman, Elsie Hoffman, in 1889. And another female saxophonist sits at the centre of this story.
5: You know, one of the very first recordings of a saxophone was made by a woman. The piece performed was apparently a version of Ave Maria, performed by a saxophonist called Bessie Mecklem, which she recorded on Edison cylinders, apparently in 1892 which is so much earlier than I would ever have thought that there was a recording of the saxophone. I think I remember seeing that date for the first time and just thinking, oh my goodness, like that's so early on when you think about it.
1: This is Charlotte and Amy with pianist Anne Lee performing a version of that recording. than a century later, women and the saxophone are still strongly connected, especially here in Australia. Here's Dr Diana Tolmy from the Queensland Conservatorium, who's been teaching the saxophone for 30 years. When
6: I started out, it was very much a boy's instrument. Girls just wouldn't touch it. So if I worked in a girls' school and it would be, you'd be really hard pressed trying to get girls to play the
1: saxophone. Then in 1989, this happened. <laughs> and everything changed. Diana calls it the Lisa Simpson effect.
6: We suddenly got this influx of female students because Lisa Simpson, who was a cool character at the time, she played the baritone saxophone, that all the girls suddenly wanted to play saxophone. And so what we noticed at the conservatorium was that where it used to be like a 90% male, 10% female ratio that would turn up, it completely flipped the other way and we just had this influx of females coming and auditioning at the conservatorium.
1: But I've raced ahead in the saxophone's life story. Travelling sax soloists helped drive the instrument's popularity. In the US in the early 1900s, popular dance bands started featuring the saxophone. Suddenly, it had become a star. Here's Richard Ingham.
4: I mean, it's very popular today, but it was hugely popular in the 1920s, and there are statistics to show that there were more units of saxophones sold in the mid to late 1920s than there were electric guitars in the 1960s, which is quite thought-provoking.
1: But being in the popular sphere attracted some serious and seriously powerful detractors.
4: The saxophone is guttural, panting, savage, savage, low in its a San Francisco Chronicle, 1970.
0: repellent.
4: Aggressive and cajoling. It is blatant and slimy. The London Times,
1: 1933. This resistance was nothing compared to what was to come for the saxophone.
4: In Nazi Germany, and that was just horrific, the uh, concept of Entartete Kunst, which translates as degenerate art, where they, they banned uh, many art forms like visual arts and, and drama and music. And because of the uh, racism inherent in the Nazi creed, the saxophone yet again was an embodiment of American jazz which in turn was perceived and historically is originally in African-American music.
1: By 1933, when the Nazis took power in Germany, the saxophone had become a symbol of jazz music and inextricably intertwined with African-American culture. There's a 1938 poster for an exhibition of so-called degenerate art, featuring a black monkey-like caricature wearing a Star of David badge and playing the saxophone. It became difficult and dangerous for German saxophonists to continue playing their instrument, with reports of SS soldiers knocking saxophones out of the mouths of players and banning the instrument altogether.
4: The white supremacist concept of the Nazis and the desire to have a pure Aryan culture meant that they didn't want anything to do with jazz because of its African-American um, history and connotations. It's pretty revolting.
1: The Nazis banned the instrument for its association with black people. When the church banned it, it was probably for its association with some of the more sexually suggestive dance moves of the time. The saxophone was a sound that demonstrated a lack of control, something Uncontained. The Vatican was first, condemning the saxophone in a 1914 edict, forbidding the instrument to be played in church. Then in 1948, the instrument was again banned at a cathedral in England.
4: The ecclesiastical authorities insisted that the saxophone movement be omitted rather than let the instrument's profane voice speak within the sacred building, which is really funny to think about now. But it, that actually happened. Uh, it was, uh, they refused to let... Uh, the section of the saxophone be played inside the cathedral.
1: The saxophone was persecuted under another totalitarian regime, the Soviet Union under Stalin in the 1930s.
4: The Stalinist Russia thing was the saxophone was the embodiment of jazz, which in turn was the embodiment of bourgeois American imperialist culture. So that would be a good enough reason to ban the saxophone.
1: Orchestras in the Soviet Union were forced to pull their saxophones and sax players had to hand over their instruments. Saxophonists were arrested, imprisoned and even exiled. But while the saxophone symbolised racism in Germany and a fear of imperialism in Russia, in the US, when jazz music arrived the saxophone became a voice for liberation. Saxophone legend Sonny Rollins down the line from New York.
3: Jazz is really a black art form. The saxophone almost represents jazz in a way. You know, that's how people uh, hear the saxophone and it's usually with the jazz number. So the two are very, very closely uh, entwined the saxophone and jazz music. The saxophone seems to be, wow, when you hear a saxophone, it almost sounds like jazz itself.
1: Sonny was born in 1930. He picked up a saxophone for the first time at seven and was politicised from a similar age.
3: They grew up in Harlem and we used to march as an activist grandmother. And we used to march for civil rights There was a lot of uh, lynchings, and there was a lot of things. You know, a lot of black uh, people in the South were accused of raping white women and all of this stuff. And, of course, they, they weren't. They were innocent. There was, just like in many things in the United States, if it was somebody great that did it that was black, he was sent to the side and made to
1: disappear. Sonny's family were slaves in the U.S. owned Virgin Islands before being taken to North America.
3: The mainland United States, slavery here was uh, of a sort of of the most demonic sort of all the slavery uh, which has existed in time immemorial. There's always slavery. But the slavery here was the most brutal.
1: Jazz combined military music, ragtime melodies and songs of slaves from Africa. Between 1913 and 1916, some of the first African-American jazz bands started using the saxophone. It was powerful and unstoppable. One of the first records that I made
3: was called The Freedom Suite. And I remember that W.E. Du Bois who is a famous black leader here, said that any artist who has gotten famous in the United States, he has a responsibility to speak about the injustices that black people endured in this country. And they should do that through their art. So as soon as I got a little popular, and I got a chance to uh, do things like that, I, I made that. I made... I composed The Freedom Suite, I said something about it.
1: In 1957, the year before The Freedom Suite came out, Sonny had released the album Way Out West. On the cover, he's standing in a desert, dressed in wide-brimmed hat, holster and ammunition belt, as a proud black cowboy. But there's a notable difference. Under one arm, in place of a gun, sits his tenor saxophone, and there's just the hint of a smile on his face. Saxophone had become the ultimate symbol of jazz, and it was about more than just the music.
3: The pulse of jazz was black. It's from Africa. It was so much the saxophone, it was just that if I played jazz, then I was automatically connecting with my black roots.
1: The saxophone is so connected with black culture that the late African-American author Tony Morrison once famously called sax-playing Bill Clinton the first black president. In 1998, she wrote in The New Yorker that Clinton displays almost every trope of blackness, single-parent household, born poor, working class, saxophone playing. Here's Clinton shortly before becoming president, dressed in suit and shades, playing saxophone on a US TV talk show. The reason why the saxophone
3: might be associated with blacks is because we had such great... I think the greatest uh, jazz saxophonists were uh,
1: black. Sonny raises a point that nearly everyone I spoke to about the saxophone emphasised. The instrument's flexibility... The way different players can create with it their own sound.
3: In my time growing up, there was Lester uh, Young, the great tennis saxophonist. He had a different sound. There was Coleman Hawkins. They called him the father of the tennis saxophone. He had a different sound. There was Ben Webster, another guy I played with the great Duke Ellington. He had a different sound. So the
1: instrument is phenomenal. It's it just phenomenally versatile. Saxophonist and composer Charlotte Harding.
5: I think there's obviously the most incredible legacies. I mean, there are the most incredible musicians when you think of Ivy Benson or John Coltrane, and and the voice that they really had as saxophonist. I think that's something that's really always drawn me to it. Is this idea that it's very, it's a very vocal instrument. I feel like is there's not much between you and an audience when you're when you're playing on a saxophone. That versatility
1: has seen the saxophone star in marching bands, jazz, world music, classical music, and of course, in commercial popular music. Maybe the fact the saxophone can transition breathlessly from Whitney Houston to Brahms, from Bessie Mecklem to Kenny G, is what keeps it so popular. I'm told by Diana Tolmy and other saxophone teachers that while other instruments ebb and flow, the number of sax students remains consistently strong. It's a very accessible instrument to start off with. That, I
6: think, aids a lot uh, in avoiding any kind of attrition um, of numbers.
3: It's easy to begin... But as you get into it, then it becomes difficult. Hmm. You could start out playing uh, uh, you know Watson Matilda on the saxophone, maybe in a short uh, period of time.) as people hear the saxophone, they will
4: be seduced by it. It's supposed to be true that the saxophone resembles the tone of the human voice more closely than any other instrument, along with the electric guitar. It seems to have a some weird direct uh, connection to uh, listeners' brains, so... If, for instance, if you're attending an orchestral concert, which includes the short saxophone solo from within the orchestra, you'll see most of the audience craning their necks to see where this beautiful sound is is coming from. Scottish poet Douglas Dunn summed it all up in his 1988 poem "An Address to Adolf Sax in Heaven," where he imagines Sax looking down from heaven at all he unknowingly created. Now look at you, from Aberdeen to Hamlets in the Argentine, in Reykjavik and Birmingham, Jakarta and Dar es Salaam. And throughout the poem he uh, describes how you find the uh, saxophone in the greatest concert halls as a featured soloist throughout the world. And you'll find it in playing in steamy bars uh, in the back streets of tiny towns all, all over the world.
1: You're holding it right now. Yeah. It yeah. seems like a, a T-shirt that you've worn your whole life or something that's just kind of part of you almost, to me.
2: It is that, definitely. Often when you play, when you perform, you're not actually aware of the fact that you're holding this piece of metal in front of you. It's, it's just, it's a part of your body. It's all the one thing. You're not aware of your hands making contact with something, you're hearing a sort of melody in your head, and then listening to it come
1: out in front of you. So now, the stranger I grew up with seems less strange, and I can understand a little better my dad's love for it. And I've learnt I'm not the only one to see it as part of the family. Sunny, I've read that you have named your saxophone Henrietta. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is your relationship with the instrument?
3: Well, you know, it becomes a love relationship. I'll give you an example. When I was travelling and I'd be in hotel suites, whenever we would go to bed at night uh, with my wife, I would always go out. On- Get my saxophone from the outer room, bring it into the bedroom. Not in the bed. It's not going to work at the bed, but have it in the bedroom where we are. I always had to have my saxophone that close.
1: Let's end with a little more of Sonny's Freedom Suite. (laughs)
0: Heavenly and Demonic, the story of the saxophone was produced by Anna Kelsey Sugg. The sound engineer was Brendan O'Neill and the supervising producer Michelle Rayner. The music was performed by Charlotte Harding, Amy Green, and Andy Sugg. That's Anna's dad. I'm Kirsty Melville, and you've been with the History Listen summer season on Radio National. Thanks for your company. Catch you next time.